Welcome to Indo Battery, where I share about my endometriosis and adenomyosis story and continue learning along the way. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice or diagnosis, but a place to equip you with information and a sense of community, ensuring you never have to face this journey alone. Join me as I navigate the ups and downs and share stories of strength, resilience, and hope while navigating the world of endometriosis and adenomyosis from personal experience to expert insights. I'm your host, Alana, and this is Endobattery, charging our lives when endometriosis drains us. Welcome back to Endobattery. Grab your cup of coffee or your cup of tea and join me at the table as Natalie continues her story about the triumphs and the tribulations that she has faced in her endometriosis journey. This is where we left off and where we're going. She has me stand up and she calls it the Captain Morgan pose. And I put my leg up on the thing. She does what she has to do. And she's like, cough into cough. And she's like, you don't have prolapse. She was like, you have a severely hypertonic pelvic floor. She was like, you are extremely tense. And she was like, what have you been doing? And I was like, well, I do high intensity interval workouts and Kegels. And she was like, stop doing Kegels immediately. You need loosening, not tightening. And that's mm-hmm. when I started learning about the pelvic floor. And so my husband's there and he, we're both like gobsmacked by this like woman just pouring all the, like, you know, and, and he's just saying, they're like, yeah, those are all her symptoms. That's all her stuff. <laughs> you know, like we, I started crying honestly, because I would too. I hadn't, I'm going to start crying now. I had, I had never had that experience of somebody validating me in that way. And I literally thought I was in the twilight zone and she's like, you have endometriosis. We know that for sure. We know that for a fact, but she was like, I think you have hernias. Who are you thinking of seeing? And I was like, Oh, well, I saw that there's Dr. Vidali here. And at the time, Dr. Orbuck was still in New York. And I was like, I don't know who to go to. And she was like, Oh, well, you know, that's your choice. You, you set your appointments. But she was like, you know, I, I know Dr. Vidali. Well, we're doing this thing called the endometriosis summit, if you want to come next year. <laughs> and I, she was like, I just had excision and hernia repair. So she was like, I also have a, a hernia surgeon that you could talk to. And I was like, Okay. And, and so this was August of what year she was able 2019. Okay. And she was able to do, I don't know what she did. She's doing manual therapy on me external, right? External Mm -hmm. manual therapy, internal. I start seeing her weekly. Dr. Sally was able to give me one pain-free day per week, sometimes two. I could have kissed her feet because I had been in so much pulsing, throbbing, raw, mm. wound, lime and salt being rubbed into burning pelvic abdominal pain for so mm. many years that I forgot what it was like mm-hmm. to not have pain. Yeah. And so yeah. I trusted her and she just was able to keep giving me guidance and advice. And so when I got, I, I decided that I just wanted to see Dr. Vidali mm-hmm. and I couldn't fill his packet out. I got it in August and I was terrified to fill it out. It took me forever to fill it out. Not because it was difficult, but because I was like, do I need this? Well, now that I am pain free for one day a week, maybe mm-hmm. it's not that bad. Maybe I can still fix it. You know, I'm, I'm still like, I could fix it with diet. I could fix it with exercise. I could fix it with whatever. And then I'm just like, you know, what? I'm just going to fill it out. And I'm going to go see the hernia surgeon. I go to Dr. Zoland, who was also part of the endometriosis summit faculty. Mm-hmm. And I gave him, and I brought like an old cat scan because I know that he usually does MRIs and right. he looks at the cat scan and he's like, Oh wow. Yeah. No, he was like, you have hernias. He's like the one, two, maybe three. 
he was like, I'm, I'm not even going to do an MRI. He's like, they're clear as day. Mind you, the, the CAT scan report literally says no hernias because he's an occult hernia specialist. And these are just different types of hernias that you get from endo from having a hypertonic pelvic floor, a pelvic floor so tight that it's tugging and pulling constantly mm-hmm. just from walking. And on, that, and on top of that, I'm doing like jumping and weights and whatever. You're playing superwoman. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I'm tearing holes into my body and I have no idea. And so he was like, so now I have two decisions to make. Am I going to have hernia repair? Am I going to have excision? Am I going to do both at the same time? And I'm reading that you can cure hernias naturally. And, and again, I'm falling into the same trap again mm-hmm. and mesh is awful. The devil evil mesh will ruin you and kill your and kill you. Right. And right. so I'm like, I don't know what to do. And, and so I'm talking to Dr. Sally about it and she's giving me all the information that I need. She's not swaying me one way or the other. She's just giving me the information that I need. I go see Dr. Vidali. He does an intravaginal sonogram. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I think you have adenomyosis as well. And he was like, given your symptoms, he was like, I believe you're a candidate for excision surgery. I believe that you do have endometriosis. And we're going to do some hormone testing because I told him that I wanted a family plan. Nobody had ever tested their hormones before. (laughs) No one ever does. Even after you don't have a uterus half the time, you can't even get hormone testing. This is a whole nother topic though, but yeah. Hormones. Oh God. Anytime anybody tells me something's wrong, I'm like hormones, check your hormones. Yeah. So this is August now, right? In October, my now husband and I go to Japan. The surgery is scheduled. I'm going to do excision surgery first. In Japan, I was wonderful. I barely had any pain. And then that's when I started learning about the mind-body connection, right? How my I'm diagnosed with PTSD. Mm. And my reaction to triggers is for my body to tense up really badly. So it would make my pelvic floor even worse. And that week I was just able to relax and I was not pain-free, but less pain. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming back, sitting on Dr. Sally's, laying on Dr. Sally's table. And, she, and I was like, Sally, you're not going to, uh, I call her Dr. Sally. She hates it that I call her that, <laughs> but it's her Instagram handle. So I can't stop myself from calling her Dr. <laughs> Sally. She, she, she's always like, can you just call me Sally? <laughs> and so she, she's like, and I was like, Dr. Sally, you're not going to believe what happened in Japan. She was like, let me guess, you had less pain. And I was like, how did you know? <laughs> and she was like, there's something about my clients that when they're less stressed and they go on vacation, they just have less pain. And she was like, it just makes sense, right? November comes and I'm, should I do the surgery? Should I not do the surgery? Should I cancel the surgery? I'm starting to feel better with pelvic floor therapy. It's getting better little by little. I'm able to walk and take a step and not feel a pulsing, burning, you know, vibrating, throbbing throughout my body. You know, I'm just an other awful pain, but not like that. But, not, but it's so funny how we are okay with just a little bit better instead of like feeling not 100%, but even feeling like a human half the time, not just a pincushion. I think I just didn't remember. Because, mm-hmm. and also I did, what I hadn't noticed was like, I've always been very feminine and, 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 and I love expressing my femininity. Mm-hmm. So I loved wearing high heels and tight dresses and the way that I like to express it. Right. And, and that was always part of me, but like, I hadn't even noticed that I was in leggings all the time and, and big flowy t-shirts to hide my endo belly mm-hmm. and sneakers, which is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with wearing that, but that's what I had started wearing all the time. And it just wasn't me. Right. And I had lost a little bit of my identity and my confidence and like who I was because I couldn't dress the way that I liked to. And I say this because at the time it's November, I'm just like, it can't be that bad, you know, whatever. And then literally the week before the surgery, 
I have the worst flare I've had in years. Probably the stress of it coming. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do the surgery. Like, even if they find nothing, at least I know that it's not endometriosis and, and I'm going to do something else, right? Mm-hmm. I, and that's what I tell people now. Like, at the very least, you'll know that it's not endo if they find nothing, right? And like, we, we both know that 100% of the time, it's like, you have endo. Yep. I can't say enough about Dr. Vidali, the staff at the Hoboken Hospital in Jersey. And mind you, this is August to December. This is a very short period of time. Yeah. They were wonderful. I told the anesthesiologist, I was like, you have to tell me when you're going to put me to sleep because I hate being put to sleep. And I was like, if you don't tell me, I'm going to walk off this table. He was very kind. <laughs> to my, And he was like, I'm going to let you know. So my mom's there, my sister, my, my now husband. I remember going in, waking up in the room and, you know, I'm like a little groggy and I already felt different. And I know that you're under anesthesia and all that, but like, I already felt different. And I look at my mom and that moment before I could even ask, did they find anything? Dr. Vidali comes in. He's like, Natalie, hi. And (laughs) And it's your own self way. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and that's what, and that's what I love about Dr. Vidali. He's so passionate and proud of his work. Yeah. Right. Like, that's the kind of person you want doing surgery. Somebody who's like, I'm going to show you the picture and the video because that's how good I am. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like what's better than that? And and he comes in and he was like, you had your entire rectovaginal peritoneal area, you know, basically where your butt is and your vagina is, especially towards the left. I had masses of endometriosis fibrotic tissue just piled up on top of each other. And I had little clear endo, which was baby endo. I call it baby endo. It's like new growth. Of right. That's a good word and, for um, it though. It, it, the, and, and I didn't know baby endo is like the most painful. It can be the most painful because it's like this brand new growth. And if you look at my images, you would have to be an endometriosis expert to see this because it wasn't brown. I didn't have cysts, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I consider myself very lucky that I didn't have endometriosis on my uterus, my fallopian tubes. I had a little bit on my left ovary, which she was able to excise. I didn't have it on my intestines. It was literally the mass of endometriosis lesions on my rectovaginal area that was causing constipation, causing the pelvic floor dysfunction. My body was literally like tightening up to protect itself Mm -hmm. from this alien tissue that shouldn't be there. And he basically scooped me out like a watermelon. Like if you see the video and the pictures, like he just kind of cut in like a nice little butterfly shape, all of this massive endo and everything he sent to the lab was endo. Mm. And um, I cried the second he walked out. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, I knew it. I knew it. I w- I'm not insane. I'm not crazy. I wasn't making it up. I, I'm not weak. Like I knew something was wrong and nobody was listening. No one. No one cared. No one cared to send me to like another specialist. Nobody cared to send me to a pelvic floor therapist. And these people just didn't know what they were talking about. So I was angry. I was so angry mm-hmm. afterwards. Because it's like I wanted to, I just wanted to take that paper and be like, look, I, I, I told you that I was in pain. I told you that I wasn't okay and you didn't listen. Mm-hmm. And I see Dr. Vidali for my follow-up. He gives me the surgery video and he's like, oh, by the way, do you know if you have PCOS? And I go, I have no idea. And he's like, you should check because your hormones came back and it looks like you might have PCOS. And I was like, should I see an endocrinologist for that? And he goes, yeah, you should. Which my PCP never told me to do mm. that. He always, I, I asked once if I should, and he told me no. I go to an endocrinologist. So not only do I now know that I, I have had this massive endometriosis excision, turns out I had undiagnosed Hashimoto's disease for my entire life. 
and I had PCOS. I made the decision to not take birth control afterwards because I just wanted to see how it would be like. It was suggested to me that I should stay on it so that the first period wouldn't be so bad post-excision, but I just wanted to see what it would be like. I can't explain how that the endometriosis pain for me was very specifically an raw open wound with salt and lime being rubbed in and somebody just coming every once in a while and just ripping it apart with like razor blades. That's what it always felt like. Mm -hmm. That pain was gone, gone. Right now, as I'm sitting here, I do not feel that pain. And I was shocked that it was gone. But then I had horrific, throbbing, pulsating pain in my lower body. Hmm. And I didn't know why, or I did know why. Probably the nerve compression. Right. It's 2020. The world shuts down. We don't know when we're going back to our doctors. I had like one session with Dr. Sally post-operation. I could barely commute to work, honestly, even a month in. It was very difficult for me to walk. It was strange because like I didn't have the endometriosis pain anymore, but I was like in in what felt like worse pain than ever. Hmm. But I think what it was is just in the absence of the endometriosis pain, the other pain generators that I always had were just screaming loud, taking center stage. Because that's what pain is. Pain is, hey, pay attention to me because something's wrong. Right. Pain has a function. <laughs> and I think I think we forget that there's a function to pain. And so I'm trying to do virtual therapy with Dr. Sally, but I think I, I should have known at the time because her and I discussed it, uh, me maybe seeing somebody else, but I was so attached to her. I didn't want to leave her. Rightfully so. That, like, when the world was, right. right and, like, and, and nobody's going to know what Dr. Sally knows, right? I was so attached to her and we're doing virtual but I, I literally can't walk for more than five minutes. If I walk for more than five minutes, I would say I spent the, those first 11 months post-excision, I was in a fetal position on my couch. And thank God that it was COVID because I would have lost my job. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know what to do. And I knew that I had to just go get the hernia repair. At that mm-hmm. point, I was doing nerve block injections, which were helpful. I was doing pelvic floor injections, which were helpful. I was using suppositories, which were helpful. I would say they got me through. those 11 months, but something physically about me wasn't getting better because I couldn't move. I just couldn't move. And my body just changed so much. I gained so much weight. I'd never seen myself like this overnight stretch marks erupted. And it was a reckoning of my relationship to myself and my Mm -hmm. body and starting to learn how to be nice to my body and, Mm -hmm. and accept my body for what it's been through and be kind to it. And that those stretch marks are okay. They were just making way for space that I needed at the time. And being in a fetal position was my body trying to protect me from this pain that I was having. So November 2020, 11 months after having excision surgery, I have hernia repair. And it's a little scary. We don't have a vaccine Mm -hmm. for COVID yet. It's at a surgical center, not a hospital. At the time, nobody else can come. So Mm -hmm. I was just like, again... If Dr. Zolin goes in and he finds one little hernia and that's what it is, at least we know that it's not a hernia and I got to find out what's going on. Mm -hmm. He goes in and he finds seven hernias. I have an umbilical hernia. I have two inguinal hernias, which is like where people would point at their ovaries. I have two obturator hernias, which are like down, like towards the inside of your thigh. And I have two, uh, no, sorry, that's femoral hernias and two obturator hernias, which are kind of like in the same area. So Mm -hmm. I had twins on both sides of the body equally worse on my left side. The, the openings were a lot larger and pockets of fat that had been ripped off my abdominal wall 
from having the tense pelvic floor had right. fallen into these tears and they were compressing the nerves. So he had to clean up debris out of these holes and close it up and cover it with mesh. When I woke up, first of all, that surgery made me realize that I took the excision surgery for granted. Mm. Excision surgery is a major surgery. Yes. It is no joke. Yes. I would do 10 hernia repairs over an excision surgery any day. (laughs) So, and I say that for people to be kind to themselves because excision surgeries are no joke. And I can't describe it to you, but the second that I woke up from that surgery, it felt like somebody had gone from the inside of my leg to my ankle and zipped me up. Hmm. And it was like, I was zipped up and it was nice and tight and my legs felt tight. Dr. Zolan comes in and he's like, you had seven hernias. And he's like, it was worse on your left. He's showing you pictures. Again, another doctor who's proud of his work. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, Sally knows how to find really great doctors. And he's like, you know, he was like, have you ever had issues like not really feeling your left leg? And I was like, oh, yeah, I just, you get you, you know, yeah, of course. Like sometimes I can't feel my left leg. And he was like, well, that should be better now because you have, you had a really bad femoral compression there. I repaired them all. Let's check in in a month. So in a month, the nerve pain is awful. (laughs) My legs feel better. I I feel sturdier. My legs feel like they can move more. But the nerve pain is like out of control. The pelvic floor pain is crazy. How could it not be? Right. I had a major surgery. Then I had another surgery. I didn't have access to pelvic floor therapy. So I start pelvic floor therapy in 2021. I started going twice a week. A few months in, I started seeing a personal trainer because I was just so weak. My Again, I had my abdomen stretched out again, right? It right. took six months just for your abs to get back together after surgery. And, and you know, I'm not going to lie. Like, I was feeling really defeated. I was mm-hmm. like, I've been, I, I butchered my body and I'm not feeling better. Mm-hmm. What did I, I, did I make a mistake? Right. Maybe I'm just not fixable. Maybe, maybe there's something about me that just like, this is the life I have to live is in pain. Mm. But I had to remember what I learned from Sally. I went to the endometriosis summit in 2020, right before the world shut down. Right. And, and that's why like endometriosis education post-excision is so important. And endometriosis summit, I'm I'm not trying to plug it here. I am going to be there in March, but like. I'm going to plug it real fast. If you're going, you need to go. Like if you have the opportunity and can you absolutely should go. Absolutely. 100%. And virtual, totally worth it. Yes. And if you can't go and you can't pay for the ticket, watch the Endometriosis Summit videos. Yes. They are free 99 and you get free information from some of the best in the world. Yes. And so that's when I learned about like, you got to find your pain generators and you got to work on them individually because the, the excision took care of the endo, but your body got used to something being there for your whole life and it's gone now, but it's right. going to keep reacting the way that it did. So it took a long time, but six months into pelvic floor therapy, I was able to walk 30 minutes. Six months after that, a year in, I was able, I was clear to lift weights. And you're a power and lifter, right? Yes. So in 2022, I was still working with that personal trainer who is a goddess. I love Holly so much. <laughs> she just happens to be um, educated in pelvic floor because she she has worked with a lot of women who have had children. Mm-hmm. But she is, I'm going to say how awesome she is. She's one of the directors of fitness at NYU for the athletes. Mm-hmm. And we're just doing these little workouts, right? Because I'm feeling better. We're trying to work up to it. And then all of a sudden I get a new job and this job has a rack with barbells on it. 
And she's like, have you ever used that before? And I'm like, no. And she was like, okay, let's start using it. And then every week I was getting stronger and stronger. My pelvic pain is lessening. My nerve pain is lessening. And I'm still doing injections. I'm still using suppositories. I'm using topical ketamine, Valium, stuff Mm -hmm. like that to keep the nerves calmed down because you got to calm them down. That's what pelvic pain rehab does. Oh, sorry, pelvic rehabilitation medicine, I think they're called now. The point is to get these nerves to just calm down. Right. Calm the heck down. You're not in, nothing's compressing you anymore. Just Right. (laughs) So I'm still pelvic floor therapy, injections, personal training. And then I start noticing that I'm getting like really strong every week, every week, I'm just able to lift more. And she was like, you're really strong. (laughs) She was like, have you ever thought about powerlifting? And I was like, what is that? I become obsessed. I start watching videos. That's what I spend my weekends doing. I'm like eating popcorn, watching powerlifting videos. And I'm astonished at like what these women can lift. I'm like so inspired. And I'm like, I can do this. Yeah. Again, I'm doing so much work that honestly, I kind of shut people out. I had to mm-hmm. shut people out. I'm focusing on work and I'm focusing on my body because yeah. I wanted so badly just to get to some sort of better. Mm-hmm. And Holly just says to me, listen, I've, I'm tapped out. She's like, I'm not a powerlifting coach, but I think you should work with a coach if you're really interested in this sport. And so she recommended my amazing coach, Jacob, who is just such a kind, compassionate type of person that you want to train you. Mm-hmm. It's not none of this, no pain, no gain. You got to kill right. yourself, whatever. I explained endometriosis. He understood it. And he's been so gentle with me. And so he accepted me on his team, which was like insane to me. I'm an <laughs> athlete now. I went from not being able to walk to I'm an athlete, mm-hmm. Natalie. <laughs> I have my first meet on January 27th, which I'm practicing Boop-boop. for. Yesterday, I squatted the most I've ever squatted in my life. What's your PR on that? And so right now on the squat, it's 135 pounds. Get it, girl. But that's not even like my whole strength. That's me working on that scale that you work on when mm-hmm. you're a power lifter. I don't know what I'm going to lift the day of the meet, but the hernia repair worked. My nerve pain is 97% less. Sometimes it gets, it gets flared up. How can it not? Right. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Like I tell people all the time that send me messages, you can't undo a lifetime of damage overnight. Yep. It's only four years post excision and three years post nerve nerve compression repair. Mm-hmm. I have pelvic floor flare up sometimes, but now that I'm exercising and I learned my body so well through pelvic floor therapy, I know how to do what I need to do to calm it down myself. And if not, I am still seeing a pelvic floor therapist weekly. Yeah. Because that's just what I'm going to need. And I'm thankful that I have the privilege to have the access to it. Yeah. But I guess the thing is, yeah, you're probably not going to feel immediately better after excision surgery, but just understand that there could be so many things mm-hmm. that are going to still cause pain that the endometriosis might have made worse. And you might have comorbidities. I still deal with Hashimoto's disease, right? So right. I still deal with exhaustion if I'm not on my meds properly. I have PCOS, which I have to deal with my severe insulin resistance there. So There's so much more to the puzzle. There's so much Mm -hmm. more to the pain puzzle for endometriosis patients. And our bodies are so different. I know people that have excision surgery and are like running two months later and they're fine. That wasn't me. Nope. That wasn't me. I just didn't give up. I had hope. I believed in the medical team that I built for myself, mostly through the endometriosis summit. (laughs) And they're the ones that I still have now. And if it wasn't for that community of doctors that care about their jobs that were willing to all even talk to each other on my behalf, even talk to my personal trainer on my behalf. Yep. I wouldn't be where I am 
the best advice I could give anybody is like, if you just had excision surgery and you're in pain, I'm sorry, have patience. Yeah. Um, if you're in danger, if you feel like your life is in danger, go to the doctor, go to the ER, go. Right. But what you're feeling may not be endometriosis pain. If if it was a proper excision, mm-hmm. it might be pelvic floor, it might be nerve compression, right? So that's my story. I went from barely being able to take a step to powerlifting, and I could probably powerlift in high heels if I tried. <laughs> yeah, why not? I mean, other than the, you know, your PT might not like that so much come the following yeah. week. <laughs> but I, I think it's important to highlight the surgery did not cause the hernias. The hernias were there. Yes, that is so important. That's the biggest question I get. So Sally suspected hernias way before the excision. Mm-hmm. And they were not caused by the excision surgery. They were not. They were there. Like the type of damage that I had and the openings, that did not happen from surgery within a few months. That was years and years of tugging, tugging, ripping, ripping from having a hypertonic pelvic floor. Right. Um, which is just bizarre to me that like, because people say, well, how did the endo cause your hernias? I was like, well... <laughs> It caused pelvic floor dysfunction and I had a hypertonic pelvic floor and it was pulling and pulling and it ripped and ripped and and that's how it ended up happening. But yeah, that's a really good point. We suspected that I had them and I did. I absolutely had it before I had excision surgery. Yeah. For sure. What do you do to prepare now that you're powerlifting? I know it took you a long time and, and I'm in the same boat where I have a trainer who is very aware of the pelvic floor. So we do pelvic tilts a lot, 90-90 stretches making sure internal, external rotation are very important, making sure we warm up properly so that I don't hurt myself. Yes. Those you kind of have to work up to, I think, in a lot of ways. Like it's not something – Yeah. It's not instant. Absolutely no. No, no, no. I mean, I I remember when I couldn't even squat like a 30-pound dumbbell, right? Mm -hmm. And I squatted 135 pounds yesterday. (laughs) So (laughs) – yeah, I know. I'm so excited. It takes time. And that's what I say. It's like this progress is three and a half years of intensive work on my part, mm-hmm. like really committing to doing it, even on the days I didn't want to. And I get it. I get it that you're in pain and you're tired and all that stuff. And you shouldn't feel bad for that. Mm-mm. Some days I just didn't do it because I didn't want to. <laughs> but but the thing is, like, it was three and a half years of work. And after three and a half years of like really listening to your body, and I mean, really listening, because it was if it wasn't for endometriosis, I would have never learned to listen to my body. Mm-hmm. I can feel the separate types of pain. I know when it's nerve pain now. I know when it's pelvic floor tension mm-hmm. now. And so before I power lift, or even sometimes in the mornings before I go to work, just I'm going to walk, I'm going to commute, right? I'm going to use the tools that my fit pelvic floor therapist gave me and my personal trainer gave me. I keep my dilators clean and ready with the Mm -hmm. lube next to it because maybe in the morning while I'm doing my makeup or curling my hair before I go to work, I have a dilator in Mm -hmm. because I can feel the tightness. And I know that if I just go with that, the tightness starting, it's going to get worse. And by the end of the day, it's going to be much worse than it was before. So I kind of know now I need to use a dilator today Mm -hmm. or I need to put a suppository in today. I used to have to take one of those suppositories daily. Now I take it sporadically. Yeah. And when I first started lifting, if I, and it was really funny, if we would start a new training block, a new type of movement, my body immediately would go into pelvic floor flare. Mm-hmm. And I learned this about myself. So exactly like you said, I do warm ups that are all about telling my body it's safe, preparing it for movement, telling my body that it's going to be okay, that this isn't going to hurt me. 
And I know that sounds silly, but I do talk to my body and I'm gentle with it. Yeah. I'm like, thank you for testing up because you're trying to protect me, but I don't need it. It's right. not necessary. Don't tense up. And your diaphragmatic breathing, it's a simple, it's a very simple thing to do, but it's so effective. You're calming your central nervous mm -hmm. system down. And I know that for me, that is definitely one of the factors is I already have a diagnosis of PTSD from other things that have happened in my life. Right. And I'm absolutely a person where it's, I immediately get the bodily symptoms from it. That's me. Right. So I will do these warmups that are hip openers, pelvic floor relaxers, and just do as much as I can. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes right. my pelvic floor is upset and it just doesn't want to be nice and cooperative and it's going to be tense the whole time. And that's fine. And after my workouts, I will sit there and do a cool down, right? Crocodile mm -hmm. breathing, happy baby, which my husband, every time he sees me in happy baby, he's like, are you calling the mothership? <laughs> and and, and he, he makes, he's like, wah, 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 wah. and I'm like, yes, I'm calling the mothership with my vagina. That's right. Um, and, and you'll thank me for that later. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like only, only we need to know about this that do happy baby pose. And I don't care if I do those in the gym in front of people, they can watch all they want. My pelvic floor health is more important than that. And as far as like nerve pain goes, a lot of times, again, I don't really feel it as much anymore. If after my workouts, that's when I do, or before I do those pelvic tilts, right? Mm -hmm. And thrusts, just hip thrusts are amazing for rectal tension for me. Oh my God. If yeah. I get a nice heavy barbell on me and I do like a really good hip thrust, it'll release that tension. There's something about me where tension on tension just like releases it. It cancels it out. Huh. And when I'm not working out, I'll just make sure to like do little things like making sure that I'm sitting in a way that's not making it worse, using my dilators, doing my diaphragmatic breathing. It's just part of my life now. It's part of the process. I don't see it as a chore anymore. It's, it comes natural to me and being mindful of what kind of shoes I wear, being mindful of what kind of clothes I wear. Right. If I feel a nerve flare coming, I'll try to stop it with maybe, sometimes I don't need um, the stuff from the pain physiatrist, a lidocaine patch over the counter. I could just pop it on there and like stop it before it goes nuts. So I've learned it through pelvic floor therapy, working with a personal trainer and just listening to my body and what it needs. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always work. It's not always perfect. I'm not always on top of it. I'm human. <laughs> but for the most part, I'm trying. <laughs> and that's the most important thing that I can do. That's all you try can do. for myself. Yeah, that's my days now. And I'm, I'm going to say as I'm sitting here, like these past few weeks, especially when I lift, when I lift, I feel really good. I've been like 90% and no pain, right? Mm -hmm. I'm having a weird like ribcage pain nerve pain. I have no idea why. We'll figure it out eventually. That's how I approach things now. I'm like, I'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Like, but you know the I'll proper channels why. now too, where it's like, okay, I'm not just, not going to just ignore it. I'm going to actually investigate what it is. Okay. I'm going to start with step one. Is it my pelvic floor? Is it pulling on that? Is yeah. it something else? Is it? So you know the proper channels, but it, you didn't get there overnight. It wasn't like, oh, I know no. what that is. It, it takes a long no, time. I, I, it takes a long time. And I, and I also have just never stopped learning about endometriosis. And thank God for, for Heather, for Sally, for Amy Corfali, for Katie Boyce, for you, for people that just keep talking about it and talking about how it affects us all so differently. Because mm -hmm. I think that a lot of times you'll have a symptom and you'll just attribute it to something else. And then you'll just hear that one conversation and be like, holy crap, it's my endo. Mm -hmm. My endo is the reason this is happening. And so I'm just going to keep doing what I, what I did when I was 
20, which is just keep learning about how my diseases affect me. Like mm-hmm. uh, the way that I pick my endocrinologists and my, the, to help me with my PCOS and Hashimoto's, I was like, can you explain to me biologically what's happening in my body? Why do I feel this way? What is, the, what's the mechanism that's failing that's causing the symptoms that I'm having? I remember there was one doctor who got so offended by that question. (laughs) And he was like, well, it sounds like you're pretty read up on it. So whatever you think. And I was like, I'm never coming back here again. That's not what I asked you. (laughs) Right, that's why I asked you. And and it's like, just because I can be so educated and researched and whatever, I'm still not a doctor. So I say endometriosis has been my cruelest abuser, but my best teacher. Mm -hmm. I know how to advocate for myself. When I have other things wrong with me, I know what kind of questions to ask, how to show up to the doctor and know when it's time to move on. And maybe when I feel like I'm not being heard. And that's why I started my advocacy page because I'm first generation and I had to learn all that by myself. No one in my family knew what the American healthcare system is like. And you don't think about that. Mm -mm. A healthcare system in another country is just different. And in Latino culture, you're taught not to question doctors because in the United States, people don't understand. Like if, if you're from Latin America, Honduras or El Salvador, like my family is, if you become a doctor, that means one, that you're super smart because some of the best universities are public and you have to pass grueling exams to get in. Mm-hmm. Or two, you come from extreme wealth and privilege. And so the thing is, in the United States, I'm not saying that just anybody can become a doctor. That's not the truth. But it is just a little bit easier. Right. But the thing is that prestige and that like mentality of like you don't question that type of authority is ingrained in you as a kid. Right. And like, you know, you're a kid like translating the legal documents, medical documents, I literally took a job at a health insurance company when I was like 25 just to learn what health insurance was like. That's because I didn't understand it. I didn't learn what health insurance worked like until I took a job at a health insurance company. And now I know. And I know that it's a whole mess. (laughs) We're going to have to have um, another part two on that because that's a big, (laughs) you didn't know you opened up that can of worms, did you? (laughs) Yeah, no, I didn't. But like a lot of things that I've done in my life, I just did them to learn about them because I had no other person to turn to. And I asked, I tried to look for mentors, but I think I realized like so many of us just don't really know what we don't know if we're not dealing with it, right? Mm-hmm. Not everybody's in chronic pain, so they're not going to know how to navigate yeah. talking to doctors. College, again, I did that on my own. I wish somebody would have told me you could transfer to a, new, a different university. You can you could do all these different, just because you studied psychology doesn't mean you that's what you have to do for the rest right. of your life. Um, it matters what you do if you have a master's program for certain things. And you know, I've had to learn so many things on my own. And so that's why I created Endo Cipota. I wanted people to immediately know from the name, I have Endo, and then I'm a Cipota, a Central American girl. And that's the perspective that I have. I'm the first in the family to do everything. And endometriosis, I'm the first in the family to do endometriosis. Mm. And it explains maybe why my grandmother had horrific periods, right? She's She's not with us now. But oh man, maybe grandmother had endometriosis, right? Or just being more empathetic and sympathetic to like the other woman in our family that might be dealing with this. So that's what I want to do. I understand the cultural reasons why you might not go to a gynecologist because you're supposed to be a virgin until you get married. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I understand that our family teaches us that tampons take your virginity. I understand that we're very natural, organic, fresh food from the farm focus. And we think that that's going to solve all the issues. 
and that surgery is extreme and lazy. This was a lot of the programming that I got just from my own family. So you have to fight also against that cultural part of it that can be tough. And then explaining a disease that may cause infertility to a, a Latino family where like having a child is, and American culture is the same. Having a child is the biggest accomplishment that a woman can have. Mm-hmm. Becoming a mother, being becoming a matriarch, developing her matriarchal line. There's so much honor and pride and and carrying the family name. I never talked about it because I, I got tired of a family asking me when I was going to have a kid because I'm just like, I'm in pain. Right. I can barely take care of myself right now. I passed out on the bathroom floor and when I woke up, I had pooped myself. <laughs> right. I can't have a kid right now. I can't um, even take care of myself so, right now. It's like you can't. Right. I'm the baby. Right. And, you know, I will tell you, as someone who had two ablation surgeries and then I was able to get pregnant, my endo symptoms came full force after my first child. It is not easy to parent with endo. You have a lot of guilt associated with that and you have a lot of trauma associated with that. And my oldest will tell you now, mom, I remember when you were on the couch. I remember when you were throwing up. I always have like Ziploc bags for my kids to throw up in it. You know, people have buckets. I have bags because it's easier for them to carry around. But I I had those. And so my daughter remembers me carrying around my Ziploc bag. And then after my second child was born, it got so bad that I Mm -hmm. mentally some days couldn't handle being mom and endo patient and the guilt associated. So I can't even imagine. I mean, I think that is something to, you know, culturally when you're expected to have a child at a certain age or in a certain stage of your relationship, but you physically just feel like you can't, it's okay. And I was also told that I was infertile, right? So I was 30 when I had my excision surgery and Dr. Vidali was like, you're fine. You could totally have kids. There was no physical damage to your sex organs and your EMH is fine. I had already prepared for a life without children. Right. <laughs> and then I met my husband who who made me want to have kids. And, and we're, we're going to hopefully try soon. But it's a sensitive topic, right? Right. I, just like you explained, right? Like even if you have endometriosis and you're able to have children, mm-hmm. it's still a very difficult conversation to have because I've heard from a lot of moms that they have this guilt. I admire you because I just think like how lucky that those kids have an endo mom because you're somebody who is going to be so compassionate and empathetic to when they're in pain or they're not feeling well. Yeah. And and you'll know to just pay a little bit more attention to that detail. Or and and when it comes to their medical care, oh my God, who better than you? I think it's a privilege to be loved by an endo mom. So I think you're awesome. And I think those kids are very lucky, even if they have those moments that they bring up where you might feel guilty. So thank you. I think it's a great way to have a strength that not everyone does. So yeah, that's a great way to put that. Thank you. That was was a little (laughs) confidence booster, but I'm still saving for therapy for them just for other reasons. It's like I told my therapist, I'm like, I'm so afraid of of messing my kids up, you know, that I don't have. Um, Mm -hmm. And she was like, that's okay. There's going to be a therapist for them too. (laughs) Yeah. For us all. And I was like, good point. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, the therapist can fix it. (laughs) That's right. I'm saving for it. It's fine. This has been so fun to sit down. I feel like we need to do like a part two, part three, part four, part five. I mean, we'll do this again because you're a wealth of knowledge, but your compassion and your 
background and yeah. in, in your story, it highlights just some beauty within the endometriosis community. In the disease that is not beautiful, you have created such a beautiful outlook about it. And just the way that you have navigated that, even though it's been tough, is impactful. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Like, I'm going to turn red here. Thank God I have makeup on. (laughs) No, I just, I've been following you for a while anyway online. And then it was like, hey, you know, we had connected. And I was like, you are just a really sweet, sincere person that has a lot to offer so many people. And that's why I'm so excited that you're doing your new publication posts. I'm really excited for those. It's just going to be Latinas who are Christian like me. It'll be in English. And um, I eventually will. I do have some stuff in Spanish and I will always speak Spanish because I am bilingual. But yeah, no, these will be in English. So if even if you're not Latina, you're more than welcome. If you have endometriosis and you want to hear from somebody else who has endometriosis, how they're navigating college, career search, self-advocacy, how to find the right doctors. Come and sit with us. You're more than welcome. Yeah. And that's the chronic RBF is what you're yes. starting. <laughs> the name of my newsletter. Yeah. Because the- I always got accused of having resting bitch face and I was like, I was in pain. Yeah. That's all it was. I didn't think I was better than anybody. I just literally was trying not to fall off my chair. And Oh, I was pretty irritable. <laughs> My mom will tell you. Actually, she came on the podcast and she was yeah. like, you were pretty irritable. I was like, I was, but I was. it was because of my pain response to- How could you not be? Right. You're in pain every second. Like, how could you not be irritable? That's why I have so much compassion now for anybody. Like, anytime anybody tells me, like, I hurt my back. Right. I'm like, I get it. Sit down, relax. I'm going to baby you. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay. <laughs> you can come my way and baby me any day when I hurt my back. I, I, I will happily do so. Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie, thank you so much for taking the time and just spending thank that you. with me. I just really appreciate you. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate you too. And your podcast is badass. Um, thank you. So thanks for all the work you do. Oh. I, I can't imagine how much work it is, but I'm sure it's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot, but it's worth it when I know that people have been helped. It is totally worth it. Every yeah, for sure. hour. Until next time, everyone, continue advocating for you and for the